I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Hey, how you doing, podcasts? Adam Buxton here. It is rather an overcast day here in the Norfolk countryside. A little bit like one of those days from The Road by Cormac McCarthy. You know, a little bit apocalyptic. Having said that, literally within the last 30 seconds, a gap in the cloud over to the west has opened up. It's the evening of the day as I speak. And the sun is now poking through, so the countryside is all lit up golden, even though the sky is very angrily dark and grey over to the east. It's really quite cool. I'm looking at a tree right now, a big oak, and all the leaves are turning gold and they're backlit by the sun and it just looks crazily beautiful. Rosie! Rosie thinks it's crazily beautiful as well. But that's probably enough great, great uh, nature description from Buckles. Let me tell you about podcast number 108, which features a conversation and some music, a performance of a couple of songs from the British musician Michael Kiwanuka. Some Kiwanuka facts for you. Michael is currently aged 32. He was born and raised in Muswell Hill, London, the son of Ugandan parents. Michael's musical talents earned him a place at the Royal Academy of Music, where he studied jazz guitar. Anyway, look, he dropped out of the Royal Academy of Music and for a time worked as a session guitarist before finding the confidence to go solo. After gigging around for a few years in London's pubs and clubs, he signed to Polydor Records in 2011. That same year, he supported Adele, and in 2012, he won the BBC Sound of 2012. That is the annual poll that the BBC undertakes of music critics and industry figures in order to find the most promising new music talent of 2012. No, they do it every year, I think. That same year, 2012, saw the release of Michael's debut album, Home Again. It was produced by Paul Butler of the UK indie rock band The Bees. The band The Bees. That album was nominated for a Mercury Prize, as was Michael's second album, which he released four years later in 2016, Love and Hate. Paul Butler once again involved in the production, but this time also twiddling knobs were Brian Burton, a.k.a. Danger Mouse, the American man, and the London hip-hop producer Inflow. In 2017, Cold Little Heart, the sprawling opening track on Love and Hate, was used as the theme tune to Big Little Lies, HBO's excellent drama about some wealthy young mothers living in Monterey, California. Very good if you haven't seen it. Here's a little blast, and you'll probably go, oh, I didn't realise that was Michael Kiwanuka. Here it is. (laughs) 
Yep, there you go. It's a good one. The album Love and Hate reached number one in the UK album charts. Michael's third album, released earlier this month, November 2019, is titled simply Kiwanuka and once again features fancy electronic inflected production from The Danger Mouse and Inflow, keeping one foot on the cutting edge, ouch, and the other in a past filled with... I wrote this stuff. I was trying to be like a rock journalist. Keeping one foot on the cutting edge and the other in a past filled with influences from the classic soul of Marvin Gaye, Curtis Mayfield and Otis Redding to rock and pop touchstones like Neil Young, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell. Just some of the influences you can hear in Michael's work, I think. A recent Guardian review of Kiwanuka by Dave Simpson called it a bold, expansive, heartfelt, sublime album. I would have added Wickwocks and Smartfart. He's snuck in at the final whistle, says Dave Simpson, but surely this is among the decade's best five-star review for that album. Nice. It is very good. My conversation with Michael was recorded earlier this year in Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club. Thanks very much indeed to them for letting us record upstairs at the club one afternoon a couple of months ago. And it felt... Uh, an appropriate venue to talk with Michael about some of his musical influences before we rambled about other odds and sods. And I had the privilege of hearing him play a couple of songs from the new record. And to be sat right opposite someone as talented as Michael and have them sing and play was very great. And I was grinning and staring at him with a cheesy expression of love on my hairy face which you can probably hear if you listen carefully. Back at the end for an apology and a podcast recommendation. But right now with Michael Kiwanuka. Here we go. sat upstairs at Ronnie Scott's mm. legendary jazz club yeah. in Frith Street, Soho, London. Mm. It's a nice sunny day in mid-September yeah. 2019. Yeah. I'm sat opposite Michael Kiwanuka. Hi. How are you doing, man? I'm very good, Adam. I'm very good. Yeah, nice to meet you. I'm happy to be chatting with you today. Oh, well, thank you. And you're going to play a couple of songs, is that right? Yeah. Is that okay? That's fine. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to. Are you self-conscious about that kind of thing? Do you feel like you're being made to perform? In, like, in this context, no. But if we were at a dinner party and we were just hanging out... Yes. And then like... Michael, play one of your songs. Yeah, yeah. Like, get the guitar out. Play one of your feel, special songs. Yeah, that yeah. Surely that happens all the time, doesn't it? Maybe with, like, family members, you know, like, aunties and uncles. Not, like, peers. I think Piers people Morgan. are just like... Definitely not Piers Morgan, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think they're just like, do you, are you still doing music? They're like, what's that? <laughs> do you, are you still strumming? Do you, did you have a gig? They don't really okay. get phased by... Um, 
I don't walk into a room and people like hold their breath or anything like that. What about if you're up in the Hollywood Hills mm-hmm. at a swanky party yeah. surrounded by movie stars and rappers? Yeah. And your host comes over and says, Michael, play us a song. Come on. Oh I don't know gosh. why that woman <laughs> with that accent is there, but she is. I mean, I probably... Has that happened? That, that hasn't happened. Not like swanky. I've been in... I went to a party in... Um, actually, Laurel Canyon. My friend oh. Gus was like, oh, there's a party on tonight. And not in that accent. And I'm not good with accents. So I'm not good at no, an American accent. And he's a really good musician and like knows a lot of like the cool, be like... I play for Beck or, you know, it's like, oh, Nora Jones' band, that kind of yeah. scene. Yeah, Joey Warrenker. Exactly. In fact, he knows him really well. And he's like, yeah, there's, there's a party, man. You know, you want to come? I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. And went up with his girlfriend. And it was like, there was no movie stars or famous musicians, but it was like, I don't know if you've, like, you, I mean, it's so L.A. or like, where everything about it was, could have been, but it wasn't. So it was like the house was Paul Simon's son's old house. So it was like three steps removed. Yeah. And then everyone that was there kind of like was in a band, obviously, but no one had heard of them, including myself. It kind of looked like a fancy dress party where people, there was a woman, there was a girl in the middle of the garden playing the acoustic guitar in a dress that looked like Joni Mitchell playing an old Martin, singing some song. And it was like, where am I? Yeah. And I was there for like two hours and thought, I think I'm going to go home. But it was fun. But that's like the closest I've been to one of those kind of parties where they're like, hey, you know, movers and shakers. I haven't really actually been to any of those parties like that in, yeah. in LA, really. Yeah. That was a funny night, though. Mm, it sounds like being on the set of a film about yeah. Laurel Canyon in, yeah. the, in the 60s or yeah. whatever. It was just funny that everything was like three steps from an actual, what could have actually been cool. Right. <laughs> Are those people that you admired, that sort of Laurel Canyon scene, the Joni and yeah. David Crosby and... yeah. My favourite of that scene is probably Neil Young. Mm. I'm still a huge Neil Young fan. And then, obviously, everything around that, CSNY, Joni. You know, like, I would never buy, like, David Crosby solo albums or, like, Stephen Stills solo albums, but I liked it and I just liked the romanticism and the Geffen records. All of that I just, like, was obsessed with. So it was quite nice being in L.A. that time. And I wasn't on tour or anything. I was just there with Gus hanging out, making music and stuff. And, yeah, you know, I'm a huge fan of that. And definitely as a songwriter, something that I think inspires a lot of songwriters, just how prolific they were and the kind of how powerful the singer-songwriter was at that time, you know. Mm. It's, it's, when you read about it, it just sounded like a really idyllic time. Yeah. Quite romantic. What's your go-to Neil Young record? I love, like, Zuma for the, the Crazy Horse stuff. I like Zuma. I haven't got Zuma. Zuma's great because, I mean, Cortez the Killer, man. I mean, that. Right, okay, that song, that's on there. That song is one of my favourite guitar solos. So it's kind of very rocky, that one, is it? Yeah. Zuma? Kind of mellow rock, obviously, Pedro Rock. Yeah. yeah. Rockier. On the Beach. I love that album. Oh, yeah, Beach. that's a good one. I've got that one. I love After the Gold Rush a lot. Yeah. I love that record. It's Peach. Harvest is obviously up there for me. Harvest and After the Gold Rush. It feels as if a lot of those kinds of classic, mm-hmm. inverted commas, artists yeah. do that pair of albums. Like yeah. Van Morrison, you've yeah. got Moon Dance and Astral Weeks yeah. right next to each other. Yeah. Bowie, you've got Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust yeah. right next to each other. Yeah. And Harvest and After the Gold yeah. Rush. Um, I mean, what a run. Yeah. I also really like his first solo album, Neil Young, Neil Young. Yeah, yeah. Neil Young. I love that record. That's got Here We Are in the Years, doesn't it? I think so. It's got like the loner. And it's oh, got, yeah, um, that's good. which is good. And then it's got The Old Laughing Lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Song. I love that record. Oh, it's good. Yeah. He's hard to beat, isn't he? Mm-hmm. As a character as well. I got to see it. So around that time, I was, like, I mean, I was obsessed with him. And around that time, I was spending a lot of time in America. I was in 
Austin a lot randomly. I would spend time in like Austin, loads of my ex girlfriend was is from Austin, so I'd go there and visit her. And I was hanging out in Austin, and my friend from England, convoluted story. My friend, good friend of mine, Josh Brown, we went to school together. He would come out and tour with me and do some guitar taking, and he met a girl at the same time there as well, who were friends. So we would always like travel to Austin and like just have fun, basically hang out in Austin. And I started meeting all these like concert promoters that had heard the first album, like, "Hey man, you know, I can hook you up some tickets to these things." And then I always wanted to go to Neil Young's Bridge School Benefit concert. Do you mm. Remember those things that he'd put on where like he'd get... does he not still do them? No, because oh. no, I think he. Well, Sally's ex-wife passed away, but they broke up before she died, and it was right. And that was associated with her. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. the school they set up. But he would always have like the best lineups. I mean, my dream was to like if I could ever get a gig at the Bridge School, it would be like the dream come true. Yeah. I, I never did, but I always want to go. And it was coming up. It was always in October, and it was coming up. And this, you know, I was in Austin, and this guy that worked for a booking agency could get tickets. I was like, do you reckon you could get us tickets to? The Bridge School Benefit, I can get some flights up and fly to San Francisco. It's like, yeah. And then, like, a couple of days later, it's like, I got you some tickets. Triple A. It's like, oh, amazing. But the lineup was ridiculous. It was Neil Young and then also CSNY and, like, Reunited. Wow. It was Queens of the Stone Age doing an acoustic set, which is really weird, but still crazy to see Queens of the Stone Age. Elvis Costello and Diana Krall, Tom Waits, who never plays. Uh-huh. So Tom Waits of the set. And a band called Heart that I never actually knew. Uh, I think they're big in America. Heart, the big rockers. Yeah. They're two big ladies yeah. with the big hair. That's it. That's Heart. It's yeah. all big. I'd never heard of them, but they were also there. Yeah. It, they're, was, they're... it was crazy. Yeah. Crazy lineup. So I was like, whoa. And My Morning Jacket were also playing. And so I was like, amazing. Wow. AAA, all day gig for free with these like amazing singers and musicians, songwriters, and Neil Young. And I remember sitting there and Neil Young comes out first and he's just... He's there with his, with his D35, whatever it is. It's just like the iconic image with his hat on and it's like walking around with his harmonica with a wireless pack. Yeah. Started playing Comes a Time. Um, off the album Comes a Time. I really like that song. And, he, and I was like almost in tears. Like, oh, Neil Young. Oh my gosh, the, the man himself. But I had, this is AAA. So I went back and I was like, I'm going to go and buy some merch. I bought this like Bridge School t-shirt and then Neil Young was just standing there like maybe 15 yards away I was like oh on my own I was just at this point I was like oh my gosh this is crazy it was one of those moments one of my biggest regrets in my life where I just thought and he, actually he wasn't on his own he was talking to one other person and it looked like quite a serious conversation so I just kind of looked at him and I was like oh man he's, he must be ta- I mean it's Neil Young he must be talking about something really serious <laughs> so if I went over and said oh my gosh I'm such a big fan can I have I wouldn't have asked for a selfie but just to shake his hand yeah so I, so I didn't you know because um, you were being respectful I was and then I was like but I just something part of me was just like why didn't I just go and say your music is and I know you've heard this a zillion times before but your music has made my life a thousand times better you know yeah and I think that's probably like my biggest regret of like just, I'll never meet him probably just but then I, I could have known you know I got to actually tell him the, the Neil Young you know um, but yeah that was a, I'm sure he listens to this podcast yeah 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 he'll so if you're listening Neil um, we've got a couple of albums out now and if you're up for having a jam you know you know where I am <laughs> <laughs> um, well shall we have a bit of music yeah what are you up for playing well um, play anything you want I don't know I could play something off my new album that's coming out yeah a single out or I could play an older song that if there's songs that you like 
I don't you, really like you don't like my music your songs so let me do this one then because this one <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to play You Ain't The Problem which is the first single off my new album okay which is called Kurunuka self-titled album funny enough little side note but because Neil Young Neil Young which we spoke about earlier is mm. like I think it is his debut solo album if I'm correct but it's not his first album but I've always been interested in albums that are self-titled that aren't debuts mm. I always thought that sounds it's quite cool one of the reasons why I call this album Kurunuka but this is the first single from it and um, it's also the first track on the record and yeah it's just a song about I guess realising that you know there's loads of problems in life but one problem that there isn't is you if that makes sense Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we're quite quick to blame ourselves right okay but this is just like you know no one's perfect what if you are a massive prick well then you're hanging out with the wrong people right you could, you know, a massive prick to someone could be like someone's <laughs> husband <laughs> or son, yeah, or daughter. So if you think of it that way, yeah, then okay. they're definitely not a problem. What if you've murdered thousands of people? I would say then you are. Listen, then, I'm you know, spoiling are, the song. You, you are a problem. That is, but you should you write a different song to deal with that yeah. eventuality. Yeah, but let, let me play this one. This one's for yeah. all the murderers and. Um, <laughs> okay. We haven't sound checked, so hopefully uh, we'll be fine. La 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 Love makes me blind, I hope to find who I believe in Get back in line, I can't deny myself, show me the feeling Oh, you got me wrong, if you don't belong, live in the trouble, don't hesitate Time heals the pain, you ain't the problem I live the lie, love is the crime, it's you I believe in No need to play myself, no need to die, I'm only human I'm done, you got to put me on, I know when you come along Don't hesitate Time heals the pain, you ain't the problem La 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 I point the gun, you are the one, do all the talking I try to help myself, you are the one, do all the talking You got me wrong, I caught you calling, I hear you calling Don't hesitate Time heals the pain, you ain't the problem I live the dream, I hope to be who I believe in I used to hate myself, you got the key, break out the prison Oh, I hope to never see time passing Don't hesitate Time heals the pain You ain't the problem La 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 
That's great, man. Thank you. Really nice. I've read interviews with you where you're saying that it took you a while to sort of get used to your own voice and yeah. the way you sing. Yeah, I love yeah. the way you sing, but why, why did you ever feel insecure about it? Yeah, that was, it was true. It's, it's because I didn't, I was desperate to be a guitar player. Uh-huh. You know, I was like, the dreams was like, I want to be an electric guitar player. And I had no ambition or like desire to be the center of attention ever. I know it sounds mad because everything I do is about like, me now but yeah i didn't really care about that i just never like sang i never like tried to sing i never thought of it a thing i mean with the guitar if you like make a mistake you're like oh the amp was fuzzy or like the guitar's out of tune it's too hot you know you can blame your tool but singing is like you've got nowhere to hide with that mm-hmm. so i kind of felt like you know it was too much too personal and i'm like i don't want everyone to know everything about me mm. and and then the center of attention thing even now sometimes I hate it, you know. You get used to it, but like, like you said earlier, would you ever get your guitar? Like, I'll never get my guitar out at home and play a song to close friends. It's just like, why? You know, it's just too. But at a gig, because there's a reason for it, and there's like, it's an arena for it. It's like, okay, this makes sense. It's like, it's still center of attention, but it's not just like, look at me, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so see, it was like, I, st- I didn't really have a good relationship with it at first, but thank God I like got into it because I love it now. But yeah, I mean, but I definitely had to like work to that as well I, I definitely spent some time when I kind of got into songwriting and thinking okay I do kind of want to sing what what actually happened with me was I dropped out of uni and I, I'm a huge jazz fan with Ronnie Scott because I'm a big big jazz fan are you? yeah so I, I studied jazz who are you guys? well we listened to Flonish Monk earlier today like right. Chris Crossley to that record Miles Davis I was obsessed with his calls so I'll buy any year of Miles Davis 60s Blue Note um, straight ahead like the Two quintets like Tony Williams quintet with the Tony Williams and Ron Carter and Herbie, but then I loved like the fusion in the seventies with Bitches Brew, and then I love the eighties. I just loved Miles Davis, uh-huh. every era stuff with Charlie Parker, Wayne Shorter. I like sixties, late sixties, early seventies jazz. That's the sound I like. And so I was studying jazz guitar at music college in London at the Royal Academy of Music, mm. very posh. and like it didn't really work out. So after about a year and a half, I dropped out. Um, and then I started to just go back to songs and start playing. And I thought it'd be a good idea to like start a band. And I'm like it'd be cool to like teach guitar because I love the guitar. I'm not really bothered about sessioning too much music. I'm not like, into because I'm into music that's not around now, like seventies soul and jazz, whatever. But I thought it'd be fun to do some on my own songs in the pub in the evening with my friends because that's so fun. And we would like drive to like Ballam or something and play like you know the Bedford or something like that. And then um, I remember, like, it was the MySpace days, and I remember thinking, oh, maybe I could just, like, try being a songwriter, you know, and I wouldn't have to be at the front, because I kind of hate that, I still hate it at the time, but I could still write songs and be in the studio and all that. And I sent it to this guy, and he was, like, emailed back, was like, this sounds quite good. Have you ever thought of... And I said in the email, like, you know, let's get some singers, and I see that you're working with singers. And I like, have you ever thought of doing these yourself? And I was like, no, but I'll give it a go. And he's like, come to the studio. And we did it. And it was a good studio session. But when I thought, okay, maybe let's try and be a singer or whatever, I definitely practiced. I definitely had, I knew I had like a voice, but I wanted to do it properly. So I just used to listen to records like over and over and just copy how they sang and try to learn how to sing through Marvin Gaye records, Otis Wedding records. I'll just play it and just repeat and then learn the chords and just like try and do the inflections that Otis Wedding would do and... Ray Charles, because they were the singers. So I thought, if I'm going to sing, I want to be a good singer. 
so it took me a while to work up to like a cold or heart it was definitely like every day I, I mean I dropped out of uni so I had every day I was just at home playing guitar making music so I'd wake up and just practice singing you know right yeah and so um, you played You Ain't The Problem yeah from the new record mm. and I saw you saying that it's partly inspired by your tendency to compare yourself to others yeah and it probably comes from that yeah yeah and I suppose at a certain point, driving yourself a bit crazy by doing that yeah. and then just saying, okay, like, you ain't the problem is a license to kind of give yourself a break if yeah. you're in that same yeah. frame of mind. 100%, yeah. Right. Gets a little boring just, like, comparing. And you described yourself as an overthinker when you were younger. Yeah. Are you still an overthinker? Sometimes. Not as much. What form did it take when you were little? What kind of things mm. would you overthink? Can you remember? Oh, man, like everything. Where does that come from, do you think? I don't know. That's a good question because I think maybe it comes from... I grew, so I grew up in Muswell Hill. I'm Ugandan. And Muswell Hill, if you know Muswell Hill in North London, is, is, is a really nice area. But, you know, middle class is mainly just everyone's white, apart from maybe one, two other families. Yeah. And everyone, it's just Ray Davis and members of Madness wandering around. Yeah, exactly. It actually is that. <laughs> yeah. You see him on an Arsenal game in like some pub, he'll be watching it in the corner. And, it, and I had a really nice upbringing, so it wasn't like bad at all. Mm -hmm. Like, so just to preface that with that, but you, it, it subtly there was things like when I go to my friends' houses, they'll be like really big houses, and they'll have like two cars, and they'll have their own room. And it sounds so trivial, but me and my brothers shared a room, and we didn't have a car, so. I mean, no one, like, no one cared that we had that. And people loved coming around to our house because it was probably a bit different to them. But in my head, it was like, why are we so different to everyone else? And right, then, okay. And then we would be like, my mom and dad were speaking like at home in their language, which is Luganda. And I'd be like, they're the only people that have like two languages, this weird African language with everyone. You know, so I, I, we, like, we stuck out like sore thumbs. Man, and no one was ever cruel to us. Or that was, it was actually like people liked it. But I don't know, I had this weird thing of wanting to fit in so much. And because of that, I used to really keep quiet on things and not say everything. So I just think all the time about how to get into the mix without anyone saying too much and being able to meld into the crowd. And I think maybe that kind of got me to just start sitting there thinking all the time because I was always feeling like, oh, you know, where do I belong? And the same thing that you do when you get to a teenager and that kind of thing. And like, I feel like when you're in the middle of so many different things, because at the same time, our heritage, we were like, me and my brother were seen as british so we were kind of in the no man's land mm -hmm. which actually is great for the creative spirit like it's actually a good thing but at the time it was like oh you know when we go to uganda we're like these british people and then when we were in england we're ugandan like what the hell it used to really piss me off you know i used to just want to fit in and i got a bit melancholy about it so i just sit and think about it you know and think about what would life be like and that probably that's probably one of the reasons why i got so thoughtful and melancholic right know? okay yeah I think, anyway, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. it must be weird. But I think that's a natural impulse, isn't yeah. it? Just to want to fit in and just to, yeah, to not want to stand out, really. It's, uh, that's totally Yeah, I guess community normal. in one sense. You know, because it's like, now it's diff a different time, so, like, we're beginning to embrace, you know, oddballs and... Yeah. And, and which is cool, and di being different is, like, cool now. Or woke is what people say, which annoys me, because I was like, I've been woke since I was 12. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but you know, you would be like, you kind of watch TV and just be desperate to look for someone that like looked like you to give you almost a permission to continue uh -huh. being yourself. Yeah. Well, that's what I did anyway. I don't know if that's like what other people do, but I feel like community is a bit like that. You kind of all like, yeah, I go to this. Everyone's got their thing. own thing, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, 
some of those things are more trivial than others, I yeah. suppose. For me, it was being short. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was really hung up about it. Yeah. Very sensitive. Yeah. It. And I liked Adamant. Yeah. Because I found out from Smash Hits that he was five foot six, yeah. quite small, quite diminutive for a pop star. Yeah. Even though I was shorter than that at the time, now I'm five foot six. Yeah. And it was... I remember being really happy about it. That's it. I mean, it's a pathetic thing. But it's the same. It's exact, that's exactly what it is for me. That's like, hearing that, it's like, thank God you said that. Because it's like, I had this thing with... It, but mine is also trivial, but it sounds, because it's dressed up in like race and culture. Mm. It seems more important. But it, it is actually the same mindset because I remember watching, they had these, like, I say this all the time, but in school they had these, people would have these bags um, and they'll put all their favorite bands on, like school, yeah, man. on their bags. Yeah, man, in Tipex, yeah, yeah. Which was like, like sick and they'll put like Nirvana on there and then they'll get like heavy I never used to be into Slipknot and Corn, but Corn and Slipknot would be on there and all these bands Pennywise all these punk bands and then they would have Hendrix but I didn't know who Hendrix was so I was like must be another one of these like American yeah. punk bands spotty little white guy <laughs> yeah and then like maybe he looks like Kurt Cobain and I loved Kurt Cobain at the time and then there was this BBC documentary and I was like, oh, I've seen that name. It's on all those bags of those, all those cool people that hang out with those bags. Mum would never let me tip X my bag, but I would have done that if I could. <laughs> and then he came on TV and it was like, yeah, I just like mind blown. And like, and I had like kind of an picky Afro then. And like, I just started playing electric guitar. Oh man, life was complete. And it was like, I can do it. It was almost like it gave me that exactly the same way with Adam and it was like, it's weird. But for some reason we kind of, need that i don't know why it is weird yeah. yeah no i always remember that when people talk about that you know you got to see it to be it or whatever yeah and and the value of being mindful of that kind of diversity yeah. there is something yeah. very valuable in it so have you been in bands no god i wish oh man uh. i've told this story on, on this podcast before but my only gig with a band was at school in the music room and oh, our nice. friend Chris loved Talking Heads got me into Talking yeah, Heads yeah, yeah. and he said why don't you come and do vocals on a cover of uh, Cross-Eyed and Painless by Talking Heads Whoa. but I got so nervous because I knew all the, the lads the hard lads from school yeah. were going to turn up and heckle because they thought Talking Heads was weedy boy music Yeah, and they liked you know Bauhaus and Exmal Deutschland <laughs> so I got so panicky that I got hammered, absolutely mm. <laughs> assholed, me yeah. and my friend, yeah. and then went and did the gig. And sure enough, the lads turned up and were standing in the back, heckling in some vague way. And I completely bottled it, and, and we just walked out halfway through the, the, the gig. Oh, halfway through the gig, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, leaving our friend Chris just looking at us, oh, going, yeah. mate, what's, what are you doing? What did you say? I can't remember. It's 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 in my top ten shameful memories. Yeah. Uh, uh, good story though. It's awful. It's one of those things that makes me squirm. <laughs> I mean, most of the things I can't even talk about because yeah. I'm, I'm I'm ashamed uh, of that yeah. that I just described. But most of the things I'm too ashamed to even mention. Yeah. Although I will tell you another one that I thought <laughs> of yesterday when we're talking about. You've, you've got to give me a shameful memory. I will. All right, right. we got there yeah, definitely. Um, we had some builders doing some work years ago when we used to live in South London, me and my wife. My wife. And <laughs> I had a few uh, Star Wars toys. Like, I, I always collected Star Wars toys when I was little. Mm. And one of the builders, a young guy, said, oh, you like Star Wars? Yeah, okay, yeah, I've got, 
I've got one of those, uh, you know, dogs, one of the big metal dogs. I said, you mean like an at-at? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, one of them, yeah, the big dogs. Uh, you can have it if you want. Uh, so it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crap really, I don't really use it. But if you like Star Wars stuff, you know, just give me a few quid and you can have it. It's like, yeah, great. So I paid him probably more than it was worth. But it, I thought it was fun, and I cleaned it up, uh, spent an afternoon yeah. making it look really nice, stuck it on my shelf in the kitchen. And then the next time he came round, he said, oh, is that, my, is that the dog? And I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, looks really good, doesn't it? He's like, yeah, yeah, I cleaned it up. He's like, oh, right. Um, I feel, oh, I'm sad that I feel a bit of an idiot for giving it you now. Because uh, uh, a friend of mine's just had a baby, and... Actually, they'd really like that. He'd love that. Well, would you? Do you reckon you might be able to give us it back? I'll give you the money back. And I said, mm, <laughs> no. Oh my god, that's so good. That is so good. And I just thought, because no. I'd spent so long cleaning it up, I was like, I don't know what came over me, but I just thought, no, you're not gonna. No, yeah, I'm not gonna give it money. back. You're giving it too late. It's too late. <laughs> I don't know what reminded me of it yesterday, but I thought of it and it, it just froze me in my tracks. You know those memories? Yeah, yeah. Turn your bones to glass. I know. I know. I th- and I just felt so ashamed and I thought, why did I do? Give yeah. him the dog back. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, I've got hundreds of them. It's, it's like, you're right, it's embarrassing. I remember like in school, I mean, I've got loads of stupid ones. Like in school, we we would be I'm not going to use real names yeah but we would be like we, we used to all go skating we would go skateboarding this was like horrible actually quaking my feet saying this now we would go I mean the guy's so cool now it's, it's, it's like he's way cooler than me but anyway we, we would go skateboarding on Saturdays and back then it was like two pounds travel card mm-hmm. so you could just skate all day not eat but you could skate all day on the South Bank and like you go to like the skate park in the morning, there was an 8 a.m. session to 12 in Westbourne Park called PlayStation. And I was a rubbish skateboarder, but I liked the scene. I mean, I was like such a wimp. I wouldn't try anything. But I just kind of sit there. And then we would all, like seven of us would be like, at 12, we would like jump on the tube and then go to South Bank and skate there all day. And there was kind of like a new recruit to the group of us skaters. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he's, you know, this new guy, he's, he's joining us, he's really cool, you know. And then we were like, yeah, okay. And then, yeah, yeah, you can come with us, you can join in. And we see him in school and it was like, he was really excited to be in this new group of friends. So mm-hmm. he was like trying really hard. We're like, hey guys, you know, when are we next going to go for a skate? And we'll be like, oh man, it's like calm down. Like we're, we're going to go, we always go. Yeah. Just like chill. And one time, he, it was one, one Saturday, we'd go and we would finish in the morning and then we'd all jump onto the tube. But it would be like busy and there'd be like seven, ten of us. So we were like, quick, let's jump on the tube. And someone, luckily it wasn't me, but I agreed to it, had decided, hey, why don't we just like get to the top of the tube station and then just wait at the gate and then suddenly make like a run for it and leave this new guy behind um, and just jump on the train and then he'll get lost in the tube and we'll get in and we won't wait for him and the doors will shut. And we really did that at the top. I think we did it on the platform where we just timed it, where we knew that the doors were going to shut quickly. So we like, oh, isn't our train? And then seconds before the door shut, we'd run on. He'd be like, hey. So we did it. We ran on the train and, and it worked. He got left on the platform. Uh-huh. And we were like, oh, we left him out. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. You're on the platform. And we got there, carried on skating. And then 
15 minutes later or something like that, he found us, you know, at a different skate spot. And it was just the same as it would be like, hey guys, I must have just lost you um, on the train. Really sorry about that. Um, what happened? But anyway, I found you. But yeah, you must have just forgot that I was there or just so innocent and kind. Just thinking, not even accusing us of thinking that, yeah, oh yeah. man, you guys left us. You, you wouldn't know? deliberately you, jump you on that. Left us. You just obviously forgot yeah. that I was there. And we were like, oh, he's back. And then sometimes I wake up, I remember that and think, what? idiot we are we were such idiots just to be like that horrible to someone to be like we're just gonna leave you in the center of london on your own because you're just a little bit annoying you're not even annoying you're just really nice and like really really, really yeah. friendly uh, I, when i think about that i just think that's basically bullying and I, that's such a horrible thing to do that's the story that i definitely like when i remember it i'm like oh yeah yeah one yeah of many yeah one of the many i've got loads <laughs> it's a weird thing in the modern world i feel that in so many ways, people are becoming more sensitive and kinder and more thoughtful yeah. about so many things. Yeah. But actually, things seem to have hardened a little when it comes to forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. that part of the reason it's difficult to exchange these kinds of stories is that you do feel for some people, yeah. that's yeah. who you are. Yeah, yeah. If you behaved badly at some point yeah. earlier in your life, yeah. you're an idiot. your card is marked yeah. and you will forever be that person. If yeah. you had that potential to be so unkind or thoughtless yeah. or cruel yeah I know. then fuck you yeah man that's you yeah you're cancelled <laughs> but yeah i think if people knew half the stuff i've done there's also like a funny story about like you know like cruel games you can play you know like and it just happened to me so and i hated it and but then i went on and did it somewhere else where it's a fake game and you just pretend you make these two teams and one person in the room doesn't know the game everyone else does so you're like, should we play a game? Like, yeah, let's let's play a game. It's like, okay, so we're going to think of a story and we're going to say it, but you go outside and then when you come back in, you have to try and work out what the story's about by just asking questions. It's called the yes-no game. And then you go outside and you're like, okay, cool, so I just have to just ask those questions through these yes or no's. I can decipher what they're doing. So they'll come back in and be like, so is it about a film? Um, no. Um, is it about cinema? Yes. And then you keep going like that, and yes, no, you basically get led around. And basically, the aim, all it is to the game is that the people that are saying yes or no, if it ends, the word ends in a vowel. Right, I yes. remember that. Yeah. yeah, and if the word ends in. And you just basically a game to make someone feel so stupid. Oh, to, I think I, I, it used to drive me fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you come, you're like, you're probably like, I don't know, fresh as a week or like, you're meeting some new people, you're like, man, I'm making a fresh. I remember I was doing mine and I was the fool. And I was like, oh, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. And then, and then someone goes, someone says, Mike, he's a good friend of mine, Repesh, and he was like, oh, Mike, you're so good at this game. I'm like, maybe it's my songwriting. I just got an idea for stories and getting so into it. And then half an hour in, it's like, mate, there's no, there's no story. It's just, you, you're just, they just start laughing at me. I was like, what? <laughs> and you're like, it's so cool. Luckily, yeah, we're good friends, so it was like in jest, but like, it's funny. You can do it to the wrong person. It'd be pretty cruel, but. Yeah, that, I'm the kind of funny. person I probably would have flown off the handle. I'm one of those guys that would lash out if they felt cornered. Yeah, man. I mean, it can you feel a bit humiliated and then you just explode. Of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Do you spend a lot of time on sort of, Social interaction media. social media self-promotion that kind of thing being visible i'm getting better mm -hmm. i used to hate it and i used to not do it at all and now i've embraced it a bit more just because there's a couple of experiences i've had where we're really exciting through it like i remember we were in australia we were supporting monthly sons this year beginning this year and they were playing these massive arenas and those kind of gigs are like arenas i mean they're not 
don't know if you've been to many arena games. I saw games. Bowie in Wembley Stadium. I mean, that's a good gig, yeah. I mean, that's... Back in the day. Maybe that doesn't count. But arena gigs can be incredible, but mm. often they're like a bit just... Well, if you're behind the scenes of them, actually, and you're not the main act, they're just like pretty boring because mm-hmm. um, people are like definitely not there to see you and you can hear it even more right I guess um, people are still coming in and getting yeah, their seats yeah. and right yeah and an arena is like if you've got to that stage that's like the quintessential half of it is the fair weather fans so you're going to get people that are there for two songs right. even when you get that big so you've got some random guy playing these jazz chords it's like before yeah you're like, what the hell so you know you're, you're not getting anything back and you, you play for like 40 minutes and then you're like in the middle of nowhere because arenas always have to be out of town but we also had loads of days off because they, they're big bands so they can have loads of days off. So we like, I decided to like, let's do a gig in like a pub somewhere in Melbourne. We were in Melbourne for like four days. And so let's just put one on and we can just put it on Instagram and like tell people and maybe people will come. And it was like, I don't know if you ever threw any house parties growing up, if you had your own, I didn't, but it no. felt like that thing of like, you throw a house party, it's your birthday, but you're scared no one will come. You know, you've told right, everyone, right. but people were like, yeah, I'm not going to go see your party. I've got other things to do. So it was like sitting there, sound checking, like biting your nails. And went upstairs, had a beer, and went back downstairs. And it was packed. It's a little pub, small pub, way smaller than this, maybe 100 people, 150 max. And it was so much fun. Really raw, sweaty pub gig. And we we put it out on Instagram like maybe four hours before the gig. And I was like, that's so fun. And it was you couldn't have done that before. So there's so many sides of it that I love and yeah. so many sides of it that I hate so I kind of have been trying to embrace it more and finding my own voice in it so I'm a bit better now I'm definitely not like always on there I'm not that that good at it but yeah, yeah. to embrace it yeah it would be bad don't you think to be so famous that you, that kind of thing was really not practical anymore yeah, yeah that would be pretty that would be pretty lame although it would be pretty cool to be I always read those stories in like biographies of like yeah, like, the cops had to shut it down. I would love to have my gig shut down by, <laughs> by like, the police. That would be, like, the coolest thing. Like, yeah, man, it got shut down. <laughs> it was great. I always wanted to be able to say that. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah. There was, uh, there's a famous one about Radiohead doing that in 93 East. Apparently they had to, like, oh, yeah. move venues. It just got so busy. I want a story like that. We had to move. Surely you're there. at that point. I mean, you could do that in London, surely, couldn't you? Maybe I should try that. We go downstairs. <laughs> should we just do it now? Yeah. Do you want to play? Go out in Leicester Square. Sure. What, what would I do? Have uh, you got some maracas? We could, we, should, we could do Tell Me Why. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> are there harmonies on Tell Me Why? Uh, yeah, I think there are. Speaking of which... Oh, music. Would you do another song? Yeah. Are you up for that? I am. Um, well, I, I think I'll play another new song. Yeah. Um, I'll play a song called Light. That's yeah. one of my favourites. Yeah, it's, my, it's one of mine. It's the last track. I always liked last tracks of albums. Yeah. Or like track eight. I've always liked that. And um, it reminds me of like, you know, like picking the acoustic guitar and like, you know, we're talking about all that folk music and Neil Young and Laurel Canyon mm. and stuff. Such a big part of me, but I feel like I haven't really done that for a while. So doing this, this one um, makes me feel quite happy that I managed to squeeze a song like this onto the record. But this is, this is called Light. Okay. We're miles apart, but safe from dreams You're running from Be young and dumb, we'll always need One of their own To lead, shine your light 
All of my fears are gone And it don't bother me Now if it's not meant to be Too far to run Fall on your knees To find a love Your light for me, my only sun You'll always shine for me Shine your light over me All of my fears are gone And it don't bother me Now if it's not meant to be Shine your light over me All of my fears are gone And it don't bother me Now if it's not meant to be I had to lose to understand Strung out from all the years Pour out a thousand tears I never knew a kind of man Even if we are miles apart Even That's great, man. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Wait, this is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area, and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website, if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace.
Yes. Continue. Hey, welcome back, podcasts. That was Michael Kiwanuka. Very grateful to him for making the time to sit down and talk with me. But uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I thought those songs were lovely. And it was cool to uh, watch him play them. Thanks, Michael. Rosie. She's sniffing about. She's on the trail of something or other. What are you on the trail of? I don't know. I just sniff some things. I go after them. You never know what it might be. Might be a squirrel. Could be a rabbit. Could be a small deer. Could just be someone else's poo. But I'll go after it and I'll sniff it out. Because that's my job. See ya. All right, you have a good time. Now, an apology. Towards the beginning of podcast number 107, Guz Khan asked me to name my two best friends, or my mandem. I named Garth Jennings and Danny Richards. The question took me by surprise. I haven't been asked who my best friends are since, I don't know, school. So I named the close friends that I've seen most regularly for the last few years. However, many people were upset that I didn't include Louis Theroux and especially Joe Cornball's Cornish. They said they felt betrayed and that they now believed the whole foundation of my partnership with Joe Cornish to be a tawdry tissue of showbiz lies. To be clear, Joe and Louis have always been, and I hope will continue to be, two of my very bestest friends, though their busy, successful lives mean we don't see each other as much as I'd like. I want to apologise to Joe, Louis and anyone who was offended by my comments. I deeply regret any pain my stupid fucking words may have caused. And I'd also like to apologise to Garth Jennings and Danny Richards if they now feel that this apology has in some way compromised our bestie-bestie friend status. I hope that we can now draw a line under best friend gate and that we can all move on. I'm not even going to get into Zuboff chicken salad gate. Whew! Boy, that was kind of weird. Ha ha ha! the Aziz Ansari awkward segue Uh, okay recommendation for you now another podcast that I was in and it's called On the Marie Curie Couch as in Marie Curie the charity that helps give care and support to people living with terminal illness they were one of the organizations that helped when my dad was ill And On the Marie Curie Couch is a, and I'm quoting now from the thing they sent me, a new thought-provoking podcast opening up conversations about death and dying. It aims to tackle these taboo topics and find out how grief and bereavement shape the way we live our lives. It's part of a big campaign that the people at Marie Curie have created to get people talking about death and dying, something that many of us struggle with, for obvious reasons, I would say. In the podcast, Marie Curie expert Jason Davidson chats to a host of well-known guests 
about their experiences and how they feel about their own mortality. It's available from the 12th of November via Acast, iTunes and all the usual podcast outlets. I chatted to Jason and that episode will be available on the 12th of November of this year, 2019. Other episodes in the series will feature actor Alison Stedman, broadcaster and novelist Janet Ellis, BBC radio DJ Janice Long, political journalist Owen Jones, actor Greg Wise, Oscar-winning screenwriter Dustin Lance Black, and more. I love and more. Um, My conversation with Jason covered similar ground to the conversation I had with Carrie Ad Lloyd on her grief cast back in 2016. So she was one of the first people to base an entire podcast on on the subject of death and grieving and do it in an entertaining, interesting way. Carrie Ad, as far as I'm aware, talks exclusively to comedians, more or less. Uh, This Marie Curie podcast casts its net a bit wider. And of course, Jason, the host, is not himself a comedian, but a social worker and a good listener and sort of counsellor in that way. Um, So, yeah, I talked about my dad, looking after my dad. And I guess it's a lot of things that, well, it's a subject that regular listeners will know. I return to quite a bit and uh, continues to preoccupy me one way or another. Wow, I wish you could see this sunset. It has gone, well, it's getting a bit tacky, to be honest with you, because it's so incredibly colourful. It looks like some design sprayed on the side of a uh, 70s combi van with some surfers inside of it. But it's beautiful. Um, Anyway, yeah, so the podcast, I talk about my dad and I talk about you know my own feelings about what the end will be like hopefully I don't think it was too depressing Um, anyway you might find it interesting or helpful I hope Um, and perhaps it will encourage you to support the Marie Curie charity so there we go I can uh, stand down my sincere voice now All right. Thanks very much indeed to Seamus Murphy-Mitchell for his production support on this episode. Thanks, Seamus. Much appreciated. And thanks to Matt Lamont as well for his uh, editing on the conversation. Cheers, Matt. Thanks once again to Michael Kiwanuka and all the folks at Ronnie Scott's. Hope I can go back and record something there another time. They made us feel very welcome and I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks to Acast for hosting this and so many other great, great podcasts that it's mad. Hey, look, thanks for listening. You are the hardcore. You listened right to the end. Back next week for more Waffle with an interesting person. Until then, go carefully and bear in mind, I love you. Bye!